The Lord is so good. The Lord is so good. You know, um, over the course of the last three or four days, I invited about 13 of my family members. I invited over a dozen others. But tonight, I get to be with my family. Amen. With my brothers and sisters. And for that, I'm joyful and I'm thankful Amen. because the Lord is good. Amen. Let's jump right into it. Let's go to Proverbs 2 first. <clears throat> the Lord had a prophecy tonight through my own mother, and, uh, which kind of set the tone for what we're going to be talking about today. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. Amen. This is my testimony. If I could put, point to Scripture and say this is my testimony, I would point to this Scripture right here. This is Sam and my testimony in a nutshell. Crying out to the Lord for wisdom. And it brought us here. It brought us to this place. But it continues. It's a process. It occurs over and over and over and over again. Our hunger, it grows. Our desire, it grows. We get more and more hungry the more and more the Lord gives us. That's how it's supposed to be anyway. But if we're not willing to truly cry out to God for understanding, to truly cry out to Him and see what happens, can we honestly look at ourselves and say that we've found truth? That we've looked for truth diligently and we've found it. I love when Eric says that if you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. That's what it means to be deceived. But there are some people, there are some people that we come into contact with and they're, they know that they're deceived and they're okay about being deceived. They know that they're deceived, but they are okay with it. It blows my mind. They're okay with the deception that's so obvious in their lives. They'll tell you about it. You can have a conversation about their deception. And yet they continue in it. They have no desire for truth. From the beginning of time, God has not changed. Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus was the same yesterday. He's the same today and he'll be the same forever. Amen. Forever. God has not changed yet. If we look at ourselves, we've gone through a lifetime of change. A lifetime of change. And yet if we've never cried out to God, if we haven't consistently cried out to God, then that change that's occurring inside of you right now, how is it going to be based on truth? How is that change going to be based on any sort of truth? Change is inevitable. It's going to happen. But what do we base our change on? Is it the knowledge of God or is it the knowledge of man? Is it the pattern of God or is it the pattern of the world? What are we conforming to? You see, most are happy 
in a state of comfort. Most are happy there. They choose to believe what seems right. They choose to believe what has worked for them in the past, or seemingly worked. Proverbs 12.1, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Me too. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But now we come into conflict because discipline shuns comfort. With discipline, comfort must flee. Comfort must flee if discipline is to be an essential part of our lives. We must love it. We must desire it. We must pursue it. We must get used to it to the point where discipline might even become our comfort. Proverbs 14.12 There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. That one's pretty self-explanatory. There are so many different ways that in appearance they seem great. So many ideas that I've had that in appearance they, they seemed great. Seemed like a great idea. I felt good thinking about it, you know? But I didn't cry out to God. I didn't get on my knees and cry out to God for wisdom. To beg Him to show me His heart before I step forward. And uh, Deuteronomy 29, we can't forget about this one. This one's quickly becoming one of my favorites, starting in verse 18. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When such a person hears the words of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself. He blesses himself and therefore thinks, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. It seemed like a good idea. It seemed like a good idea at the time. This will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him. That's one that we don't read very often. His wrath and zeal will burn against that man. All the curses written in this book will fall upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him. And we must hit our knees. We must hit our knees consistently. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's amazing because just a few chapters later, as he sits before Pilate, Pilate asks him such an ironic question. He says, what is truth? As he looks into the eyes of the man who is truth. Pilate asks him, what is truth? And he's looking at him straight in the eyes. How ironic is this? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is found in no one else, Acts 4 says. 
not in Buddha, not in Allah, not in Muhammad, or the flying spaghetti monster that someone was trying to talk to Spencer and I about in the Montrose a few weeks ago. You know, this is a real religion. It is accepted in Scotland as of last year as a real religion that you can register to. It's real. And they worship a flying spaghetti monster that's invisible. Yes, Pastafarianism. They have pictures. They have pictures of men and women with spaghetti sauce around their faces. This offends my soul. <laughs> Spencer and I are in the street, and uh, we got the guitar. We're worshiping the Lord, and the presence of God is thick. And someone comes up to us and starts saying, "Spaghetti Jesus, Spaghetti Jesus." You see, we're built that way, though. We're built that way. We got to have something. We got to have some sort of way, some sort of path, some sort of structure that we can follow. First Corinthians one eighteen says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. In the next letter to the Corinthians, we find that, well, we find an identity. It says that we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, we're the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God himself. Jesus and his cross, they're offensive. But this is because the truth itself still offends us. Jesus and his cross are offensive because he is the truth and the truth is still offensive. We are the ones that need a change. Amen. John 6, 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter, at this moment, he had a revelation. He had a revelation of who Jesus was. And when we have a revelation of who Jesus is, when we know him, it doesn't matter what happens in our life. It doesn't matter what situation we go through. It doesn't matter what kind of hard teaching we receive, what kind of discipline we receive. It doesn't matter what's going on to our family. It doesn't matter because we have a revelation of who Jesus is and we run into his presence. We run to him. We couldn't possibly run away from the one who holds the words of eternal life. 
when we have a revelation of who He is, we run into His arms. No matter what is going on. Here's a verse that's been uh, floating around LCMF lately. It's 2 Timothy 2.22. The beginning says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. Flee to pursue a right standing with God. This is something that doesn't come naturally. It's not something that you can simply walk through life and receive just by walking. You're not in right standing with God by default. Our goal is to be a righteous one. In Hebrew, this is called a tzaddik. means righteous one. It comes from a word even before that that means to hunt. A hunter. Also to pursue relentlessly. A hunter. A righteous one. So this is twofold. We relentlessly pursue the Lord and His presence and we relentlessly pursue the broken and the lost of the world. Amen. Twofold. We hunt for the Lord's presence and we hunt for the broken and lost of the world. Did not Jesus, the perfect righteousness, do these things? Were these two things not his priority? You see, in Luke 6.12, Jesus spent the whole night praying to God, pursuing the Lord's presence relentlessly. Matthew 4.23, Jesus taught in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. And in Matthew 9.10, Jesus ate with many tax collectors and sinners at Matthew's house. He pursued the presence of God relentlessly, and he pursued the broken and the lost relentlessly. Psalm 3.6, a verse that many of us can quote by heart, says, In all your ways acknowledge Him. In all your ways, mundane or not, simple or not, in your day-to-day activities, acknowledge the Lord God. Acknowledge Him. Consider Him. Petition to discover, to rightly judge. Rightly judge what the Lord desires in that very moment. And by doing so, your path will be straight and right. Psalm 112 starting in 6. Surely he will never be shaken, talking about the righteous man. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And verse 8. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look and triumph on his foes. The righteous man, the one relentlessly pursuing the Lord and the lost, has no fear of bad news. He has no fear. No fear of anything that comes against it that that might be um, 
that might be negative in any way. No fear of bad news. Steadfast and trusting. This is firmly attached and prepared for action. Firmly attached to the Lord and prepared for action at every step and any step, mundane or not. So let's go to Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, it brings life. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word. Right, right, Mike? The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, as He was sent out, as the Lord sent Him out, Jesus was this very Word. And He accomplished everything. Everything that God sent him out to do. He accomplished it all. And as he did it, he brought life. And now, now we have that very word. We partake in that very word. The word. The word that was with God in the beginning. The word through all things were made right. We carry that word. And that word that we carry, Jesus Christ, does not return void. John 17. This is my favorite chapter in the Bible because you learn a lot about a person when he begins to open his mouth to pray. You learn a lot about what's going on in the person's life whenever he opens his mouth to talk to the Lord. Jesus said this, After he said it, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth, by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Wow. And 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. He's praying for us now. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The Father has put His very Word, capital W, inside of us. He will soon return, just like the parable of the talents, He will soon return to see what it has produced. What it has produced. 
There have been many words that say we're in the time of harvest. If we're in the time of harvest, how essential is, is it to understand and to know? To understand and to know what is inside. What our potential is. What the potential energy is. The energy that might not have been utilized yet, but the potential for the energy is there if we take advantage of it. We will have either duplicated what he invested in us, or we will have produced a void and emptiness with our own words. We either use the word that God planted inside of us, or use the words that belong to us. One produces righteousness and life, just as the trees and the flowers bud. The other produces a void and an emptiness. How important is connectedness with the Father? We go out in joy, and we're led forward in shalom. Amen. Luke 11.23 says, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. We're either gathering with the Lord as one body in Ikad with one another, or we're scattering. We're either working with one another, or we're working directly against one another. We're gathering with the Lord, or we're scattering John 12, verse 47. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. This is Jesus. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Oh, Jesus, I want that. Whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. You see, even though Jesus didn't come to judge the world, His words, they either brought salvation or they brought judgment. Our words need to serve the same function. How do we get there? starts with a little thing called zeal. might be a little bit different than, than what we're used to thinking about the word zeal, but in the Hebrew culture, zeal is actually a single-mindedness, a focus that is so single-minded, it's like, it's like the needle point exactly on the pulse. It's like having your finger exactly on the pulse of what God has. Having a zeal is not necessarily just go, go, go in an enthusiasm but it's a calculated concentration on the Word of the Lord. A single-mindedness on what the Lord has already told you to do, and a single-mindedness, just as Jesus was in the fullness of His righteousness, a single-mindedness on the Spirit of God, and a single-mindedness 
on those who he desires to save. This brings a whole new meaning to 2 Corinthians 10 for me. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It all starts there, doesn't it? It all starts there. If I'm zealous for the Lord, zealous for God, this is what I need to be doing right here. Taking every thought, making it obedient to the convictions that I feel. I need to be consumed with the things of Him, but even more than that, I need a mind consumed with the things of Him. John 15, verses 7 and 8, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remain in Him and force His words to remain in you. And that is how we bear fruit. And by bearing fruit, we show ourselves to be the disciples of Christ. Psalm 27, starting in verse 7. This is an amazing dialogue. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will seek, or I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is a relentless and an unforgiving pursuit of the Lord's face. Relentless and unforgiving. Because if if we're pursuing Him, you could say that what we're really pursuing is holiness. Uh, Peter quotes Leviticus when he says, Be holy as I am holy. You can find that in Leviticus 11 and in Leviticus 20. And before God says this, right before the, there it is, the command is, there it is, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Set yourselves apart. Be different. John 14, 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
Uh, I love what Brent said the other night, the other Friday, talking about the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of holiness. Amen. Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. If we're to be holy as God is holy, think about that. Be holy as I am holy. Set yourselves apart. Brent also spoke about the fruit of the spirit of holiness. You know, holiness makes no sense to the world. In that next verse in John 14 and 27, Jesus says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Man, that couldn't be any more true. He commands us, love those who hate you. He says, bless those who curse you. Have joy in every situation that you go through, in every moment, have joy. Force shalom in your life. This couldn't be any different than what we're looking at in the world. These things appear absurd to the world. The world gives in completely different ways. You are going to look absurd, but they are going to be drawn. Second Peter 1. I'm going to go through this a little bit. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God bestows on us the calling to participate in, in His own glory, in His own righteousness. And He's about to tell us how. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The spirit of holiness was promised to us, wasn't it? Amen. We're able to trade the spirit and the degeneration, the degenerate corruption of this world for the regeneration through the spirit and through the gifts of the spirit. What the spirit brings, it's regeneration, brings life. We escape the degenerate corruption by submitting to the Spirit and putting on the gifts of the Spirit. So in verse 5, For this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. These look eerily similar to the fruits of the Spirit that, you, that we see in Galatians. Eerily similar. These are how we participate in God's own glory and in His own righteousness. These things. In verse 8, it, it talks about putting on these qualities in increasing measure. More and more and more and working toward them and more. It's for, it's for our own benefit. It's for our own benefit. 
Why do people have a radical testimony and they fall away later? It's because they become idle and unfruitful in the kingdom because they don't pursue these qualities. They have a radical testimony. Something that only the Lord could have done in their life. And they fall. It's idleness. There's no pursuit. There's no yearning. There's no longing. There's no zeal. What does verse 10 say? Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. That's shameless audacity. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a promise. If you seek these things, put them on an increasing measure, you will never fall. You will never fall. We continue to grow in helping each other in this race. A couple of verses real quickly. Do not let on any wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it will benefit those who listen. When we pray for each other's needs, we can't help but to build them up and encourage them. I mean, look at what happened with John and Joy, for goodness sakes. There's people in this body that have been praying for them for upwards of five years. Upwards of five years. The explosion of joy that occurred on Sunday. It was mind-blowing. It's because the prayer, the prayers were put in. The work was put in. The labor was put in. Look what fruit it produced. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So what does this mean for us? We're meant to be distributors and not consumers. We've lived a life of consumption. It's where we came from. The world is a world of consumption. It's easy to consume. It's comfortable to consume. But what are we moving toward? We must move toward the distribution process. The distribution process, receiving for the, from the Lord and distributing. And it's a chain reaction, really. You get ten people in a room, and five of them distribute, and five consume. Compare that to getting ten people in a room where all ten are distributing. In the end, all ten are edified, and all ten are blessed because of it. All ten are able to enjoy one another and able to enjoy the presence of the Lord God because everyone is distributing and in turn everyone is able to enjoy. This is what it means to edify the body of Christ. To edify one another, to spur one another on to good deeds. 
It's just what 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says. What shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everybody has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these things must be done for the strengthening of the church. I love the word that Cassidy gave on Sunday from Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. It's right on point. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. For Him, from Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, every, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We move toward the distribution process. This is an individual undertaking. It's a personal undertaking. We move toward distribution. Ask and it will be given to you. You know, how the Hebrews look at this verse, keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. It's, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. Consuming is. No one can pursue for you. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. You know, I'm easily consumed with the moments of life. So I got to leave little sticky notes all over my cars, all over my mirror in my bathroom, all over the places that I frequent the most in order to be consumed with the little things of the world, not be consumed with the little things of the world, and to keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. We need to train ourselves, train ourselves to fight for it, I have one last scripture. Um, I did a word study on this scripture, and I want to read it a little bit differently. It's uh, Romans 12, 9 through 13. Um, you can follow along if you want, but I'm going to read it a little bit differently. Agape love from God is free of hypocrisy. Man, if those claiming to be the church of God could just get that one right. Hate evil and be devoted to goodness and righteousness. Show family affection toward one another. Be the first one to esteem another and to show them respect. Never neglect to be zealous and single-minded. Keep the fire of the Ruach HaKodesh burning inside of you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Have joy through your hope. Have patience through the troubles. Don't stop praying. Share everything in the spirit of Christian fellowship and welcome guests. This is how we grow. 
This is how we have Ikad in, increase, in increasing measure. This is how we eventually experience revival. This is how we put meat on the bone. I think the young man's been with Jesus. What do you think? Proverbs 25.2. Put it on the screen for us. It is to the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's to the glory of kings to search it out. You want to be a king in the kingdom? Then you need to search out the things that he's concealed. You fancy yourself an intellect? Let's see how far it gets you. You know, God's got fuzzy man. He, he, he can take three things and call it one. He can take five loaves and two fish, and you end up somehow with 12 baskets. It's not just about the intellect. We have to press into the heart of God. That's what I heard in the message. And when you press into the heart of God, I want to read to you something else that happens. The brother did a word study on zeal. Check out Jeremiah 32, start in verse 39 like this Nick. I almost read this before the service 32 and 39 I will give them singleness of heart and action do you know when God said that about his people they've been given more instruction more patience more love more mercy and now they're in the midst of judgment and what is God's answer he says, I will give them singleness of heart and action. Does that sound like zeal to you? In Hebrew, this phrase actually is a singleness inside of your heart, your lieb, that shows up in your action. Apparently, God's never cared as much about what you say is in your heart as what is in your heart shows up in your actions. That's how I would define zeal. So that they will always fear me for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire. Come on, say inspire. inspire. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. Whose heart and soul? His. He desires to fill you with his zeal. He wants you to seek him to get it. 